Welcome back to Conversation with Leaders. On today's episode, I sit down with my friend Andre Garcia, Senior Vice President of IT Operations and Quality Engineering at TrackPhone Wireless. It's really great to hear from Andre because TrackPhone's in the middle of their cloud transformation right now. So we get to hear kind of some of the struggles that they've gone through so far and how they've overcome them. Andre, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Jake. Glad to be here. So uh, can we start off? Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background and your role at TrackPhone? Sure. Uh, Andre Garcia. I've been at TrackPhone for a little over six, seven months, and I've got over 30 years in the IT industry. Um, My career goes way back (laughs) during the Stone Ages. uh, I started off as a at Linksys when it was a startup. I was the ninth employee. Uh, but way before that, I was involved in, in computing, really more as a hobby, and then just fell into it as a career. But uh, at TrackPhone, I am the Senior Vice President of IT Operations and Quality Engineering. And I oversee things like uh, the traditional on-premises infrastructure, like data centers and networks and servers and virtualization, containerization, storage, databases, middleware, voice, for thousands of call center agents, IVR for millions of customers, web services, help desk. I mean, it's a litany of things that uh, our teams do. It's a very large group of people that are very dedicated and passionate uh, about serving the customer. Great. So, so um, I've been following your your cloud migration pretty closely over a track phone, and uh, um, you guys are in the middle of your transformation. And it's, it's it's exciting to be able to talk to a customer who's kind of in it rather than the one that's already been through it. So I kind of want to ask, you know, how's it going and uh, what's, what's your progress been so far and uh, just uh, any challenges that you've run into and kind of how you've overcome them? Sure. So I think that, um, I think one of the challenges that we've been facing is that we're, our cloud migration is, it's following a common pattern, but not following a common pattern. And what I mean by that is, not only are the teams trying to come up to speed on cloud and what that means and how you operate in the cloud, how you transform your workloads into the cloud, how you size applications, how you design for them, how you design security in at every layer, because now it's not about protecting just the perimeter. It's about protecting every single layer of your application, right? So defense in depth mean takes a whole new meaning rather than just defending the perimeter at, at you know, in depth. Um, the other thing that's very different, right? I mean, when I say very, I can't even emphasize it enough. It's also all of the automation and Really, it's about infrastructure as code, configuration as code, deployments as code. I mean, the vast number of what I'll call almost robotic animated automation that we're doing um, and learning that simultaneously, that's what for me is the twist. It's not the, it's not just simple lift and shift. It's not... Uh, you know, hey, let's stand up some new server workloads in AWS and then reinstall the applications and then just move the data over there. No, 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 no. We're not taking the easy path. We're taking the let's automate this thing and let's truly get the most value out of our cloud journey 
at onset, right? At the beginning. And let's get our teams up to speed on how we actually do that. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's good to hear you're not treating the cloud as just another data center. You're actually taking advantage of the full capabilities that AWS has to offer. Yeah. And we're incorporating, and we're incorporating a lot of things that, um, are also what I'll call non-traditional IT infrastructure, right? And what I mean by that is more of the classical stuff, right? Your traditional brick and mortar, traditional virtual machines running in the cloud. Like you, like you said, I'm glad you're not just running your own data center in the cloud. We're also taking advantage of things like serverless, right? We're implementing Lambda functions. We're looking at... Uh, you know, a lot of microservices and uh, a lot of serverless stuff, stuff that we weren't looking at before. Again, very glad to hear that. What have you guys seen so far? What has been your personal view as to uh, the benefits of taking this approach? I think the benefits of the approach have been, uh, you know, based on current economic conditions, it's afforded us uh, some leeway, right, in our schedules. Um our teams have learned enough about the cloud to be dangerous, <laughs> right? I say that jokingly. Um, the teams are proficient and approaching expert level in many different areas if they aren't already. And I, I think what that does is it puts us in a position to pivot where it makes sense to, for example, facilitate new innovations, new capabilities, leveraging cloud technologies instead of being focused on leveraging our own internal infrastructure. So it allows us to be more nimble. Uh, it gives us a lot more flexibility in our go-to-market strategy with different solution design approaches. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great approach. Sounds like you know, you're focusing on what matters most to your customers rather than being as efficient as possible running IT, which is, I think, one of the key transformations that customers are getting from, from this. So when it comes to uh, your people, you mentioned uh, for the past year, uh, your teams have been getting up to speed. What has that process been like? And uh, what advice would you have for others that are going through approaching uh, getting their, their teams skilled with cloud so they can be successful? I think that education cannot be something ignored or left. It's not something you can just expect your people to go and do on their own, right? There are going to be those obviously in the organization that are very hungry to learn and uh, they're eager to just jump in and immerse themselves in the technology. Then you've got those that need a little bit uh, more structure, right? They, they don't learn well on their own or they don't have the equipment at home or they don't have uh, the wherewithal to go out and sign up for accounts on their own. And they learn best by being in a classroom. So I think the first and I think first and foremost, what you have to be familiar with is that there are different learning styles that people have, and there's not one learning style that's right. Some people learn some people learn just fine picking up a book and reading it, right? Some people need to play with it. Uh, and some people need to hear it, audio, tactile, and visual. Uh, I think those are the three main methods in which people learn. So you just have to devise a training program that's comprehensive enough to facilitate the three different styles that people learn in. So, so were you were you able to train your current employees in order to do this, or did you have to go out and, and hire new people for this cloud initiative? 
Uh, no, actually, we did not have to hire new people. Um, we have, there's really two answers to that question. And let me explain what I mean. If they were existing staff, we wanted to make sure that they had access to good training materials from Amazon, right? From AWS. And um, we also had a very concerted training program put in place that we coordinated with our HR department on getting done, right? We track everyone's training, we track certifications, the whole nine yards. The other thing that's important is, you know, IT organizations, regardless of what size organization you have, has turnover. So, you know, our leadership team got very strategic about replacing headcount that left, right? Did they, A, did they need to be replaced? And B, were there opportunities to either upskill the position, right? Hire or, or were there opportunities to um, not backfill that position and instead facilitate other headcount that we need in order to strategically focus on customer needs and, you know, demands of the business. Yeah. So it sounds like, um, you know, while there was turnover, you didn't increase your headcount in order, in order to uh, accomplish this. Yeah, we really haven't had much turnover at all. It, uh, the employees are ecstatic about uh, all of the massive cultural changes that we've been going through and the technology roadmap that everybody's getting to learn from. So it's it's actually been a really uh, strong, positive, fast-paced learning environment for everybody. So was there any pushback at all from the teams? It sounds like they're they're pretty much on board with it. But were there any was there any any initial resistance? I think that there was resistance before I came on board. Um, I think that there was also some resistance to how much involvement we had with third parties helping us. Uh, at the at the beginning of this cloud journey. Um, there was a decent amount of um, partnership with external partners. Um, and there was a, a really strong interest from the employee groups, right? The, the IT population to get immersed uh, and, and figure things out for themselves. So we have a, a, a very large and strong and passionate group of IT professionals that work for us. And, uh, you know, sometimes when you involve third parties and ask them to do things for you, it, it doesn't make room for your own staff to to rise to the occasion and shine. So we're actually in the middle of a, what I'll call a mini transformation in our approach to migrating to the cloud, where we are engaging our employees now more than ever and letting them, you know, learn the lessons from going to the cloud, let them take on workloads uh, that we know that they can shine in and let them get some quick wins so that they can not only build the confidence that they can do it, but also they get used to, you know, supporting their applications running in the cloud. So, yeah, it sounds like they're getting kind of uh, skilled very quickly in this and they're getting hands-on experience. Uh, one of the things that uh, I get asked a lot is um, if I'm successful in getting my team skilled with cloud and experienced with cloud, won't I have the problem of um, then retaining them? Won't they be more valuable in the marketplace? So I'm curious what have been your strategies so far in terms of retaining these employees? It sounds like they're getting more valuable as time goes on. 
Uh, there's no doubt that question has come up and there's actually a very popular meme that circulates on LinkedIn and Facebook. And I'm, I'm not going to quote it. Uh, I think everybody and their mother has seen it. Um, but basically, the organization that you're left with, if you don't upskill, if you don't train them, is worse than having an organization full of people that know, right? They have the knowledge. They're growing. Uh, and having an organization of people that are growing and, and happy to be growing versus those that are apathetic and not learning anything new at all is uh, is worth the trade-off. Um, you know, there's, I, I would say how to answer your original question, how are we dealing with that? I would say, you know, there's a very big focus on having fun. Having a, having a great place to work, having a place to work where people want to come every day and they're energized um, and learning and um, getting to flex new muscles that they didn't even know they had. Right. So they're they're using these newfound muscles in new ways that allow them to solve customer problems in uh, ways that they haven't been used to. Right. They're not they're not living within the constraints of, um, you know, a fixed infrastructure per se. So kind of like the sky is the limit almost on what we can achieve, what we can do. And we have a tremendous amount of flexibility in how we achieve it in the cloud. Yeah, that kind of mirrors my experience when I was going through this, um, you know, with my team and they were, um, you know, they were gaining skills very quickly. They were gaining certifications very quickly. And they were gaining kind of market value very quickly for themselves personally. And kind of the conclusion I came to is very similar. Um, you have to make it compelling for them to stay with you, right? And so one of those ways is to ensure that they believe that their value will continue to go up, uh, staying on this uh, journey with you, um, but also ensuring that they're having a good time at work and that their job is enjoyable, right? Because a lot of places... Um, you know, uh, out there, it's not going to be enjoyable to work. So if you can continue to make it fun, continue to allow them to advance their career and advance their knowledge, then I think that's the key and, and retainment becomes easy. Our businesses almost don't matter without people, right? It's all about the people and the people have to come first. You have to put them first because um, quite frankly, nothing else matters. Right. They're the ones who are going to kind of ultimately determine success or failure in, in any uh, endeavor. Right. So keeping them happy is a good investment. Yeah. So I think that's I think that's changing um, how employees feel about where they work as well. Right. Um, how much flexibility do they have to live their lives and to care for their loved ones is, is a very important thing for everybody. And we all you know, we all have those feelings one way or another. Yeah. You know, we talked before about this, this subject and I found it really kind of interesting. Um, you guys at TrackBone, you have a lot of emphasis. You put a lot of emphasis on your employees, well-being and safety and, and, and all of that. Um, I, what advice would you have for other leaders that want to kind of take a similar approach and, and be that kind of company? I feel like you guys have been particularly successful at that. You know, I, uh, I honestly feel like this is a paradigm shift that's going on in the marketplace. 
Uh, there's been, I think it's called the business roundtable uh, that talked about, you know, the top 250 or 500 CEOs or boards of directors. I don't remember what level it was at getting together and signing something or agreeing that, you know what, it's not all about the shareholder. It's just not. While shareholders are important, um, at the end of the day, it's about what value uh, your company is providing to society, which of course includes people. So there's a very big focus. It's almost, I'll call it like almost uh, like a people renaissance that's going on, right? That people now matter more than ever um, and now more than, than ever than they have, period. So. Yeah, I, I, I agree completely, you know, um, uh, and when you talk about benefiting society, I mean, you could, you could even frame that as uh, um, customer benefit as well, right? Because, you know, especially like a, a B2C company like yours, you know, there's a lot of people that rely on uh, your services. And uh, if, if, you, if your kind of overarching uh, goal and mission is to help those people, then I think you tend to have a successful business. And I think that's certainly the case for you guys. Yeah, I mean, our our motto is coverage and access for all. So we we um, we we believe that having access to telecommunication services is basically a right, right? That you should have the means, the capability of communicating uh, with your family members, your loved ones, and that you should be able to participate in society, uh, leveraging your cell phone as that device. And we tend to serve uh, those communities that are underserved, right? That um, so, yeah, coverage and access for all. Yeah. So so far, this is sounding like it's going very well, but I really want to hear about what kind of um, obstacles, if any, you you encountered earlier in this process, or maybe continue to to encounter, and kind of what your strategies are to overcome that, because. I think that's something a lot of our audience will be interested in. I mean, I think everyone knows how successful, um, you know, TrackPhone has been. And, and I think a lot of people also know how well you guys are doing with your shift to cloud. Um, but um, for those that may be kind of struggling, um, you know, with some of the initial hurdles, um, I think it'd be useful to hear kind of maybe an example or two of, of some of the resistance. Maybe it was, you know, uh, with people. Uh, you know, there's a lot of emotions when there's a big shift like this. Um, I'm curious to hear kind of how, how you guys overcame that because you clearly have. Yeah. So you and I have been talking quite a bit about it. Um, I've been, I've been thinking about that track as being like the dark side of the cloud and how to overcome it. Um, and it has to do with FUD. It has to do with the impact of fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Uh, on organizations. And it's something that I think a lot of people ignore. But in essence, FUD can can really be crippling for an IT organization, right? It can, it can basically prevent people from making decisions. It can prevent people from moving forward fast enough um, and taking advantage of all of the opportunities that these new technologies um, afford organizations. And I want to I want to give you an example. Back in the heyday, uh, back in the early days of virtualization, there were statements made by people 
uh, all over the world, it, it was basically almost a consensus that you cannot run databases on virtualized platforms. You cannot run email systems on virtualized platforms. And over the years, as people started experimenting with it, they found out very quickly, hey, that's that's actually not true. I, I ran my entire exchange infrastructure on a virtualized platform. I ran SQL servers on virtualized platform, on VMware. No problem on Hyper-V, didn't matter. Um, so I think that cloud has been going through that same thing, right? Where a lot of people were unfamiliar with virtualization, they were unfamiliar with containerization, and it took time for people learning the ropes and learning what you can and can't do with it, what can you be successful at doing it, until it became second nature, right? Now it's now people realize you can virtualize anything. And eventually people will figure out that you can also put anything you want in the cloud, just about, um, with very, very, very few exceptions. And those exceptions are actually dying away very quickly. So uh, so it sounds like you're saying that perhaps there was a perception uh, amongst certain people within the organization that, that this was the case, that there were workloads that maybe couldn't run in cloud, but uh, they were able to kind of discover over time that that's not the case? Um, that's been that's been my perception at just about any organization that I've uh, consulted to or had discussions with about their cloud journey. Um, and TrackPhone is no different. And I think, I think there's something to be said for building confidence in the IT organization. It's not just about the one person or two people that deploy something successfully to the cloud, right? Because it has to be running in the cloud for a while for people that didn't deploy it to go, hmm, this has been running fine and they're not having any problems. I expected them to have problems. Why didn't they have problems? What's wrong? I must be wrong. My my beliefs must be wrong, right? So some people have beliefs that are have to be proven wrong. And sometimes that takes time. Yeah. Yeah. And, and one of the things I noticed also is that there's momentum. There's always momentum and it could be working for you or it could be working against you. And so in the beginning, you know, you kind of have momentum working against you. It's kind of friction towards to getting the transformation going. But once you pass a certain threshold, it just becomes uh, completely obvious to everybody in the organization that this is happening and it's going to be successful and that the results are going to be better than what we used to expect. And we have to realign our expectations to be higher. Um, and at that point, very quickly, everybody kind of gets on board and you, you reach critical mass. So um, that's kind of the way that, it, that, I, that I look at it. Um, and, and, and you're right, there's going to be like those certain people. Um, but uh, once you get past that, that threshold, then it just seems like uh, it, it, it's a... Uh, it could be almost overwhelming how enthusiastic everyone gets. Um, I agree. I agree. There can, there can feel like there's a bit of a tipping point, right? Where you've got friction working against you at first because of, because of the fear, the uncertainty, the doubt, right? And eventually you get to a place where you have to actually ask people to slow down because they're, you get past that tipping point and now everything is going all at once. And now, now it's a coordination issue, right? 
So you've been leading this transformation at TrackPhone for about six months now. Um, in the past six months, what are some of the key things that you've learned that you would tell other leaders that are a little bit earlier in the stages, um, seeking advice on how to get started and how to get past that initial resistance? Hmm. I think the first and foremost, uh, among the many things that you have to tackle very early on is understanding your specific financial situation. You have to understand how your accounting or finance department is going to handle financials related to the cloud, right? Or what is going to be allowed to be depreciated? What is not? What's your OPEX versus CAPEX strategy? Um, what is your what is your board of directors message to Wall Street? Right. If everyone's focused on EBITDA and your CFO and accounting team are hell bent on making you, uh, you know, not capitalize anything, right? That everything's an opex, everything's an expense. That's going to negatively impact EBITDA, or or it could, right? So depending upon how you report to the street, how you report financial metrics, you have to start preparing your board of directors for that. Um, in terms of what you would do to prepare your organization, not only figure out the financial side of it, but you got to also figure out your people, your people equation. Uh, you have to figure out what your communication plan is going to be. Um, and you have to be, you have to implement the right governance so that your cloud journey decision making is done in an organized way and in a way that is well communicated communicated across your entire organization. Um, I think that I think that some organizations, this isn't happening at TrackPhone, but I think some organizations where they fall down is they they aren't doing an effective job uh, communicating enough, not only to their not only to their IT staff, but also maybe some some stakeholders that depend on those technologies that you're migrating to the cloud. So just making sure that you have an effective communications plan and that you actually execute on that communications plan is really important. Um, and again, having the right governance, right? What are the rules for decision-making? Who's making architectural decisions? What logic is being used for those decisions? Um, and then make sure that if you don't have, um, if you feel like you have some weak areas in your organization and you want some outside help or you want to run your, your approach by a third party, you know, I think we've had a very successful relationship leveraging uh, AWS to help us with, um, with our, some of our strategic decision making around the cloud and, um, there, there's lots of also good third parties out there that have a lot of good knowledge as well. I want to ask you a slightly different question. Um, you've had a uh, kind of a many different roles with that, w within your career. Um, and I, I know you've done some, some things that uh, some, some consulting and some other things like that. I'm, I'm wondering if you, uh, there's any, any lessons you've learned from, from those, earlier parts of your career that kind of apply to this current transformation? Because, you know, as you know, this isn't the first time there's been kind of a big disruption in the industry. You know, people our age have gone through at least one or two other times uh, in their careers. So are there any lessons that you can apply to kind of what you've been through before in some of these other roles to 
uh, what you're what you're doing now, driving this change at TrackPhone? Wow, you know, sitting back and thinking about it, um, when I look at the span of my career, I, I can say that there's been significant paradigm shifting technology innovations that have gone into place that have have really not only shaken the industry, but then have also helped reinvent it. Um, back in the day, it was about centralized, you know, computing with mainframes, um, which led to innovations in uh, having client server capability and the, the beginnings of LANs or local area networks. And then came the internet um, and, you know, almost, almost ubiquitous networking, right? Expensive back in the day, but ubiquitous networking nonetheless, uh, which of course less uh, led to more distributed computing, not just client server, but distrib distributed in other senses, right? Multi-tier applications, um, and just when we thought innovation was done, no, then virtualization came and then containerization came. Um, and that was really when cloud services started truly taking off. So, so it's kind of about disruptive events, right? Um, because, you know, I, I know you've, you've been through uh, others before and as have I, um, you know, unrelated to cloud. I mean, this is a, a, a big shift in the way not only technology works, but how businesses work. And um, I feel like it's history repeating itself in a way, right? And, and it will continue to do so. So I think that there's, um, I feel like there might be some things we can learn from kind of our past experiences that we can apply to this. And I was just wondering if, if you had any from your personal experience uh, that might be uh, relevant. I, I would say that right now, you and I are, all of us, are living during such an unprecedented time, right? Never in our history uh, as human beings have we seen what's going on. I mean, we, we've, we have historical accounts of what happened during the 1918 Spanish flu and all that, but to live it is something different and to live it during a time where information technologies were commonplace, there is no precedent for that. So what it begs more questions than answers. And that is, you know, what does, what will COVID-19 or coronavirus be as an impact in the technology space, in the working space in how we relate to each other, how customer relates to company. Um, I have no crystal ball for that. And I don't know whether my 30-year career really can give me any insight into where things are going to go. Um, I, I do. I, th I think that there was already a movement underway of uh, away from shareholders and focused more on employees, more focused on people. And I think COVID-19 is serving as a catalyst for that, right? I think it's forcing many companies to reinvent themselves. And I, I, I think everything's on the table.
right? From working models to technologies in use. Uh, I think I think the number of people leveraging cloud computing is actually going to go up. Uh, as as volatility increases and the, the pace of change and the rate of change increases, uh, the uh, the importance of being agile, not as a methodology, but you know as a concept, being able to grow the business or expand the business quickly and expensively, not being locked into past decisions, you know, um, and and being able to really kind of change your mind. You know, it's funny because in my previous life. <laughs> when I was in a similar role, um, you know, I always wondered, um, you know, leading an IT organization is, is a little bit frustrating um, traditionally because, you know, you have the, the business asking you for things and they change their mind constantly. And they almost never give you advance notice of the big things that they want. And so it's very easy to be kind of frustrated by that and say, why can't they just plan better, Right. Um, but the conclusion I came to was that, um, they shouldn't have to plan better. They shouldn't have to know a year in advance what they want to do. It's not unreasonable to expect it to be able to be responsive to changing needs, um, of the, of the business or of customers. Right. And so I think that these new capabilities that we have with cloud is allowing us to finally do that. And so we're no longer asking businesses to change or customer behavior to change, you know, instead we're saying, um, how can we develop these capabilities to change with our customers and with the needs of the business, um, you know, more rapidly and with less, um, uh, with less friction and with less, um, capital investment so that we can change as many times as we want in order to find the right solution. Yeah. The fact that you can, you know, stand up new solutions so quickly and tear them down even faster uh, allows really for more of a DevOps approach. And the cloud really facilitates that really well. Um, you have all the elasticity you need, you know, if you need to grow an application very quickly. And the other thing that it affords that um, it is really hard to do on-prem, it's not hard to do it, but... Um, you can't just do it as effectively as just right sizing your infrastructure, you know, both growing and shrinking it when you need it to, um, instead of being dependent on your own equipment to do that. It's, it's just different, right? The type of planning that you do for on-premises infrastructure is vastly different. Exactly. Yeah. On-premises, you have to get it right the first time. Not only, not only do you have to get it right the first time, but you also have to, in many cases, be severely over-engineered. In previous organizations, it wasn't it wasn't uncommon to have a rule in place um, that we would run an infrastructure and kept it at fifty percent, as in fifty percent capacity. So we needed to be able to double whatever we had going at all times. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So you're forced to over provision, which causes your fixed costs to be uh, artificially high. And, um, yeah, and then there's no, you know, I think the biggest danger about that is that there's no incentive to reduce your consumption, right? So, you know, um, and this is, this is an interesting thing that, that, um, that happens with enterprises. You get so used to running that way where there's no, there's no reward for reducing consumption of IT, um, you know, or CPUs or disk or any of the resources because you already bought it. So you might as well use it, right? It's almost like, I bought it. I'm going to use it. 
<laughs> I'm getting my money's worth. Well, it's also and it's also and it's also dangerous too, right? If if you reduce the size of your infrastructure, but the cultural mindset is ah, hardware is free, right? If if IT projects never account for the use of IT infrastructure in their spend, and they just assume, you know, the water basin's always going to be there to catch the falling water from the pipe from the spigot, then they won't even plan for it. And many organizations don't. Exactly. And so it causes there to be these really inefficient implementations because becoming more efficient, just really, there's, there's not much upside to it. Whereas, you know, after you move to cloud, then there's an immediate impact to creating efficiencies. Um, and, and not only that to kind of what you were just talking about, uh, there's cost transparency. So it is no longer a free resource, uh, for, for internal customers. Um, where they don't care how much it costs because there's no way to kind of alloc- allocate the costs back in a you know accurate way. Now we have you know in AWS you can create a report in five minutes, you know that'll tell you kind of what you're spending and where, um, and so it creates incentives to be more efficient and to spend less, and um, you know to spend more where it makes sense where you're getting a good return on investment. Yeah, I think I think the auto scaling concept is something that um, a lot of people that don't design applications for a living, they don't even know about it, right? They don't understand what the concept of elasticity means. Uh, the fact that you can scale things up and down, right, based on demand, based on application demand. So, I mean that that is a huge educational component to really helping people understand why the cloud provides such a benefit. So anything um, that we haven't talked about that uh, you think is important, um, particularly around kind of what other leaders uh, who may be listening, um, you know, what kind of lessons they can learn from kind of your journey so far? You know, I I would say that um, I would say if I were to give advice to someone starting off in the cloud, uh, it would it would emphasize the idea that going to the cloud is a journey, not a project. And the reason why I chose to emphasize that is because many leaders, um, many leaders try to put a fixed date and time that creates significant amounts of pressure on the organization that just increases everybody's stress to almost intolerable levels. And it's really not necessary, right? There's the reason why I emphasize that is because you want to give the room and the time for your organization to go through the metamorphosis without forcing the metamorphosis, right? There's gentle ways to do it and there's abrupt ways to do it. And if you're more gentle and supportive of your people in helping them transform um, their thinking, eliminate the fear, the uncertainty and doubt and let them grow at the pace that is acceptable, right? There's the organizational change management aspect of this that should not be ignored, right? You have to figure out the pulse of your organization. You have to figure out the depth and the breadth of their skills, their knowledge levels. And then, you know, just like uh, providing the right care and feeding to a garden, right? You need to, you need to give the right food, 
the right feed, the right water supply, and the right sunlight for your organization to grow, right? So maybe the first few projects that you do in the cloud are just meant to build the confidence of key engineering and architecting people in your organization. And then once it's up and running, you start socializing it. And from there, it'll start spreading like wildfire that, oh, we're in the cloud. Hey, we're and we're not having any problems. I didn't even know we were in the cloud. I thought we were running on-prem. Yeah. Yeah. Key thing that I did in, in, in uh, my migration was, you know, we did it very quickly. So um, I wanted the, uh, to the extent possible to let everyone outside of the cloud services team, which was essentially infrastructure and, and uh, IT operations, to not even know that we were doing it. It would just one day, there would be a, a scheduled maintenance and the next day their application would be faster. That's exactly, that's exactly the tact I took five years ago at another organization. Yeah. Yeah. I think if you're doing a lift and shift, that's kind of like a, a good thing to aim for, right? Um, just make it transparent to everybody, except things to just get better all of a sudden. Yeah. That was my goal with virtualization as well. Back in the day, it's like, okay, I want this thing to come up over the weekend and then go, Hey, what did you guys do? Cause, uh, all of a sudden it's, it's so much faster. Like, did you guys right. do something? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then also when they re make new requests, the turnaround should be a lot faster as well. That was another goal. Right. So like, you know, the example for me was we would have a three to six, three to six month lead, lead time for new applications, even if it was just a POC, right. Cause we had to procure hardware and stand it up and do all these kinds of things. And so, you know, once we were in AWS, when we were asked to, to do new implement, uh, new applications, um, we would turn around those changes in less than a week. And so people were, it kind of piqued people's curiosity, like, okay, so what are you guys doing over there? Why is this possible? Right. And then it kind of, we were able to build that momentum that we needed, um, based on those good experiences that, uh, that our stakeholders had. Yeah. It kind of puts the notion of under promise and over deliver to shame. It's like, Boom. It's like, it's like, a, it's like a mic dropping event. Um, yeah. People are still surprised literally every day uh, about what you can do with the cloud. I agree. So Andre, it was, uh, it's been great having you on the podcast. I, I really appreciate you taking the time to join us. Um, I hope you'll uh, consider coming back soon and giving us an update how things are going. Well, I, I appreciate uh, you giving me a chance to tell my side of the story. Awesome. Thanks again. Thank you.